and formulate it into a message so we can bring to everybody. Um, but what I've uh, kept hearing over and over again is um, basically, um, well, two things I've been hearing. So I want to share it for you with the, for the harp and bowl. Uh, to begin to declare the truths of God. Uh, this one I shared with it uh, Tuesday night. I shared them last night also. Uh, that uh, there's, I mean, if we want to get into prayer, there's about seven different types of prayer more. Uh, we can go through the scriptures. But, but I like what I like to do in prayer, I like to go to the Father, press into the Father, and let him give me the instructions in what prayer, what season, what, in what uh, venue that we're in. So we, we started down last night, we started declaring these things. Um, uh, somebody asked me, well, how come you only had, I, I showed you the, the, the sheets and stuff that we, that we pray from, and how come you only have uh, for, for, for four weeks? Well, we haven't been printing them out. We started printing them out four weeks ago. <laughs> so that's the ones we have printed. We have them electronically and all the, all the different things like this, and we, we continue to pray for the prayer request. Uh, and the second thing that God began to sh share with me, besides declaring uh, his truths, uh, is to begin to, to uh, strength, to excel in strength. Uh, this is an hour and a time we live in. I feel it more important than, than uh, not that we need to start uh, increasing in our strength. Now, I'm not talking about going to the gym, working out, pumping weights and stuff like that. That's good, too. That's good for your body. But the fact is, what I'm talking about this morning is talking about our spiritual strength. Uh, to be able to stand in, in the last days. Remember, I, I shared with you uh, last week, uh, Paul said, perilous times shall come. Let, you know, we're living in those perilous times and uh, different things like that. And what he was calling for the church to become is become spiritually strong. It was our strength. So I'll, the title of my message this morning is Excelling in Strength. And, and I want to go over a couple of things this morning. I've got probably, I overprepared again, probably more notes than I got uh, time to preach right in this one session, but we'll be giving the truths in other sessions as we go, go through. Uh, but how many know that uh, uh, comprehension, I just want to share this because here's what I get a lot. Well, how do I know it's God? How, uh, you know, uh, people ask me, how do you hear from God? And I'm going to, so let me give you a, a couple of, of things to think about. Comprehension is not the evidence that we heard from God oftentimes comprehension. We're trying to comprehend. We're trying to hear by comprehension. How many here are born again? You made a commitment to Christ and you've given your heart to the Lord. Amen. You heard from God at the time you gave your heart to the Lord because you couldn't be saved without hearing from God's voice. But though you didn't comprehend it as a audible voice, speaking English or whatever language you speak, uh, it, it, not in, in terms of so, the, so it's not, comprehension is not always the evidence that God speaks to us, amen? But he speaks in different, if, different ways, amen? But without hearing from God, we could become born again. I want to lay that, lay that down this morning uh, before, kind of before my message to get into this because I believe God, we're coming into a time and a, and a season where God is going to be speaking to people that maybe never even thought they heard God's voice before, and all of a sudden they're going to they're going to understand. They're going to be able to to or to react on it. Amen. Praise the Lord. I just wanted to share that. I want to start my scripture this morning. First scripture I want to go to this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 22. This has been a scripture that has impacted me for. A long time. I, 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 I love going over this scripture uh, and the words that Jesus said in it, uh, uh, because basically here there's a lesson in here for us today. There's, there's lessons all through God's word, but this one I want to talk to this morning. I want to get into some areas. Uh, how many know if you want to strengthen in something, 
uh, one of the places to start is taking away, taking away the things that weaken you. Amen? If I was going to strengthen my body, if I was going to become stronger, I'm going to have to stop doing the things that make my body weaker. Amen? I'm going to put away the chips, um, <laughs> stop being a couch potato, start jogging or running, or I, I ride a bicycle, and, and, and different things like that, do physical fitness. So I'm going to do the things that I need to do to become stronger. The same thing with your spirit, man. Amen? No, it's not physical exercise, but there is things that we have to do. Stop doing the things that are causing the weakness to come into our life. Amen? I'll just leave that there. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. I'm going to start in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Now, let's, right off the bat, how many know he's talking to Peter? Okay. Uh, uh, Simon, Simon, he says it twice. Everything in the Bible has a purpose and a reason. Why did Jesus say Simon, Simon twice? Well, according to Adam Clark's commentary, it says, when a name is thus repeated, it is a sacred, uh, in the sacred writings, it appears always to be intended as an expression of love, manifested by by a warning voice. So when Jesus says uh, Simon, Simon, He's endeared love, but he's also bringing a warning to Peter. Of course, we know we're reading the rest of the scripture. He says, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fails not. He says, and the word fail means to utterly fail, to quit or to cease. That's what it means to fail. That your faith doesn't quit or utterly fail or, 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 or cease. Don't stop with your faith. He said, But when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus already saw Peter ready to about to be sifted of the devil. What does that mean? Well, we have an example, a biblical example of what sifting is. How many would like to know what sifting is so they can stay away from it? Amen. Amen. But we have an example, and that example in the twelve, in the disciples, out of all the twelve, who who was the betrayer, which was Judas. Somehow, Judas, even though he went to church, well, he followed Christ, even though Judas witnessed the miracles, he still got sifted, didn't he? And Jesus is warning Peter, the same thing can happen to you. I imagine he can go to uh, Andrew and James, and, and, and all of them, and say the same can happen to you. Satan will go down the line. But, he says, but Jesus says this, he says in verse 32, But I have prayed for you that your faith faileth not, and when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus already saw the problem. He saw the incident that was going to happen. He saw the failure in Peter, and he already saw him coming back to him, and he saw the strengthening. And then he gave him an assignment. He said, when this, goes, when this process is complete, he says, here's your assignment. I want you to strengthen your brethren. That's the word I want to key in on this morning is strengthening. Strengthening. We are called by God, and not, besides the scripture, we're called by God to strengthen one another. What does it mean to strengthen one another? So we can stand. And that we can stand against the wiles of the devil, stand against his sifting. All right, let me back up a little bit, getting ahead of myself. But let's, what does the word sifting means? Well, I don't know if I'm in Key West if I'm talking to too many farmers here, but there was a season in my life where I, I did some crop farming. I was up in Michigan, and I did some crop farming with a partner of mine in the church, and we, we, had, we had a wheat field. 
basically what wheat grows up, you see wheat's what they make your breads and stuff with and all your grains. And there's, there's a, a seed that grows on the end of the stalk of the wheat. And on that seed, there's an outside covering that's called the chaff. Well, in modern times, they have a way of, uh, you take that to the mill, and they have a way of cleaning that seed and getting rid of the chaff. In the olden days, in ancient times, when Jesus thought about, they had a way of doing this. And what they did is they put, it, uh, put the, uh, a seed in a basket, and when the wind was blowing, they would toss it up into the air. And as the seed goes up in the air, the wind would catch the chaff, and what came back down in the basket was a pure, clear, uh, you know, clean seed which would go into a grinding mill. Of course, they would make flour from that seed. That's how, how it goes. So the process was that the wind came in, blew off the chaff, and separated the two things. Now, if Satan's doing the sifting, can you guess what's going to happen? He's going to take the good part out, and he's going to leave what's left over. So basically, a person that Satan has sifted becomes a hollow shell of themselves with the heart gone. Amen? I mean, it's about the best analogy you can come up with. Jesus was, was smart as saying that. Satan des desires, his, his de heart's desires, to, to uh, come upon you and sift you. In other words, not leaving anything good left in you. How many know the one thing that we have in us that's good is Christ? If Satan was to sift you today, if you saw a sifting process today, then basically everything attached to Christ would be gone from your life. If the sifting process was complete, everything about Christ, everything that Christ has asked you to do or purposed in your heart or purposed you to do, uh, how many of God has a purpose for everybody, in that purpose, that would be gone. The desire for that would be gone and everything else would be gone and what's left over is what's left over. No hope, there's no peace, there's no grace, there's nothing left over and basically we sit there as a hollow shell of ourselves of what God had created us to be. With the good part taken out and the left, uh, and the, the, the part that we, we want to get rid of to remain. So let's look at that for just a second. So the good part is taken out. The part that we don't need, the useless part, uh, the part that we, we, we are trying to get rid of ourselves remains. Do you see the flip-flop when, when Satan has his way? Basically, what's, you're just a hollow shell of what yourself, what God intended you to be. Or me, it'd be for that, for that matter. Amen? But hallelujah. I'm talking to the church this morning, so we're happy, right? Because we, we, uh, we took the prayers of Jesus, and our faith didn't fail us. But you see, the faith is being the key to this thing. But I, I, So in this, I did a little bit of, of challenging of my leadership this morning in the war room. We're sitting there talking in the war room. I says, okay, so Judas, we know, betrayed Christ. But what was it so bad that Judas did? We know it's bad. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, we're not in, a, in any way defending this guy, okay? But do you realize what he did that caused him to fall? And you think about it. Well, what did he do? Well, he took, he took 30 pieces of silver and he, and he betrayed Christ. How did he betray Christ? Did he denounce Christ as a Messiah? No. Did he uh, uh, denounce Christ as something everybody should, should uh, hook up with? No. Matter of fact, if you look at Judas, Judas went ahead and he was one of the disciples that did miracles. So he participated in the power of God. 
He was, I mean, he, he, he operated in the power of God. Remember when Jesus sent his disciples out two by two? They said, go until, he sent them back to their hometown, and he said, go ahead and lay hands on the sick, and they recover. Any demons, cast out demons. So this is Judas. He was laying hands and cast out demons. And remember, they come up from that, and they were arguing who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Remember that? Jesus had to pick up a conversation and do some straightening out of, his, of their doctrines. <laughs> but the fact is, Judas was right there. So what was it that caused Judas to fall in the first place. Here it is. Are you ready for this? He took and betrayed Christ this way. He revealed where he was at, his location, and he revealed uh, to the enemy who was trying to kill him. Now, wait a minute. Back up, back up, back up. Did not Jesus say before that, before the time of, uh, I mean, to all his disciples, before Judas ever got a chance to betray or take the 30 pieces of silver, anybody, didn't Christ say that I have come for this purpose in the book of John? He said, I come for this purpose that I go to, that I, to go to the cross. This is what I was born for. This is my destiny and purpose. So how did Judas betray Christ to go to the cross when this is what Christ's purpose was to begin with? <laughs> it's a head scratcher, isn't it? <laughs> the fact is, it isn't the outcome of the betrayal that made him a betrayer. Matter of fact, it wasn't even the act of what he did so much, except this, we know the act was, he took money to reveal information about Christ that was not privy to the ones that were getting the information. Knowing that these would be the same guys that were hunting him down to kill him or to put him on the cross what Jesus said was going to happen anyway. So what would have happened, I, I like to think of the other side, what would have happened if Judas didn't betray Christ? Somebody else would have. Amen. We don't, that's just a, that's a hypothetical because we know Judas is the one who did. So it wasn't that Judas was, was sinning. I mean, he wasn't uh, cheating on his wife. He wasn't uh, out drunk and doing drugs. He wasn't uh, all the things we acquaint sin with, all the things that would get you thrown out of most churches around. But the fact is, all he did was he showed others where Christ was located, and he betrayed them, and he did it for money. In other words, he sold his soul to reveal Christ that he knew was going to happen to him, even though Christ said it was, was going to happen anyway, but it didn't happen, have to happen by his hand. So basically, he participated in the enemy. Satan had coerced him into sifting him to it was nothing left. Even the miracles and the things that he participated, there was nothing left of Judas but a chaff. So it wasn't so much of what he did, though it was bad enough what he did, it was the reasons he did it. Amen? Do you know who Judas was? Judas was the disciple that was in charge of the treasury for the ministry. <laughs> Do you remember it was Judas that, were, that stood up and he, he uh, had an exception to the woman with the alabaster box who broke the oil and poured upon Jesus. He had, took exception to that because the oil remained. Once the oil was spilled out, it was gone. But if the oil had remained, it could be turned over for more money uh, to help the poor. So he took exception to giftings. The devil had them back then. The devil had them because when, when, the, when the purchasing and the, 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 the money, uh, Jesus, said, Jesus said two masters, it's impossible for a person to serve two masters because uh, they'll love one and hate the other. The other he mentioned the word mammon. 
Mammon isn't having money. Mammon is having a love for money. Amen. And it becomes as a spirit upon a person where that becomes the main number one thing, even over Christ. So he said, because you can't serve Christ and mammon at the same time. You can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You hate one and love the other. Something happened in Jesus during the sifting process that Jesus even warned Peter about. So nobody was exempt. None of the disciples, he was addressing Peter, but I'm sure it was for all the disciples were there to listen to the same thing. Don't be sifted by this joker. Because this is what he's going to do. He's going to cause you to sell your soul for something. Judas, in, in selling off Jesus and in, in revealing where Jesus was so these guys could come and capture him, because it went through the hand of Judas, Judas, but even afterwards, he realized what he did, tried to repent, threw back the silver. Of course, he went out and hung himself. So that's the, usually the end of the results uh, when you're just left, nothing left but the chaff and the heart's gone. Praise the Lord. Are we, are we here this morning? Amen. Well, I love this. He says, he says, Jesus didn't pray this. This is how we would pray. Well, if, this, if, if I'm Jesus and the devil comes up, he wants to, I would bind the devil right there. You can't touch that man. I'd be, be interceding against him. I'd be, I'd be confessing against him. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus turned around. He told Peter, he revealed to Peter what Satan wanted to do, revealed his plan. But then he left it up to Peter. I'm going to pray for your faith. But it was Peter's responsibility to activate that faith. God gives us faith to work with, but you know, it's our responsibility to take and use that faith. And how we use it. Everybody has faith. You don't have to be a Christian to have faith. Amen. The kind of faith to believe in God is a gift of God. That faith there. But uh, but people have faith. Uh, They have faith if I go to work tomorrow morning, Monday morning, if I work all week, work 40 hours, that at the end of the week, I'm going to get a 40-hour paycheck on the amount of money that I was agreed upon. Did you see the money yet? Huh? All you have is somebody's word, right? And if you work for the government, well, I'll leave that, I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> so you, there, is, there a amount, is there a certain amount of faith that walks with that, that works with that? Yeah, because you, if you haven't seen it, it's not in your hands yet. So we use faith all the time. I'm going to go out here to the stoplight. There's a stoplight down here at the corner. I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to go down to the stoplight. And if that light is red, I'm going to sit there. Because I know, because I know that light's going to turn green. And then when it turns green, I get to, I get to go. Well, of course, it happens all the time. It hasn't happened yet. When you're sitting at the red light, has it happened yet? Did you ever hear somebody give you directions? You go down to the red light at the corner, when the light can be yellow, green, or red, but they always say the red light. I don't know if there's something to that or whatever, but praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen? So faith is something that we operate in without even realizing it. Faith in God is something different. Because now what happens, I take my ideas and my impressions or whatever I think and I turn them over to the Lord and I trust him. I trust what he says to me. I trust his word. Now that's having faith in God. Faith and trust are the two words that can be used interchangeably through the scriptures. Praise the Lord. How many here this morning? Jesus saw something. He said on, he saw that unfailing faith in Peter and unfailing faith in us is the ability towards strengthening. 
What Jesus wanted to do, he got, Satan laid out his groundwork and his battle plan against Peter, and of course all the disciples. They already saw what he did to Judas. Went back to Peter. He said, I'm going I'm to pray this. I'm going to pray that your faith does not fail. Amen? It's an, interesting, it's an interesting concept because Jesus could have just snuffed out the devil with his thumb. <laughs> and that would have been it. But he didn't. He said, no, Peter, this is, you're going to learn to stand on your own because I need you. Here's your assignment. Your assignment is when your faith has been restored, when you've, when you've, when you've come through, when you return, he said, I want you to go to your brethren that you're and strengthen your brethren because they're going to be under the same battle. When God asks us to do something for somebody else other than ourselves, is the positioning He is putting into our life that will get to that, that will uh, uh, also protect us in the process. So Jesus is praying, interceding for Peter was the fact that Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to resist the sifting. I want you to use your faith. I'm going to pray your faith doesn't fail. And when you get through this, now Jesus already saw the end before the beginning. Here's a lesson. Do you see the end of your problem before the beginning? Before it even starts, before the problem even starts, do you see the end to where you're going to come through it? Or do we sit there, chewing on our fingernails, well, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Well, you know, you know sometimes, I don't know if it was going to, and with a bunch of doubt and unbelief, so in other words, Peter was not going to succeed if he relied upon his doubts and his questioning. He was only going to succeed in the things of God if he stood up with the faith that God had put in his heart with a boldness and say, no, I'm not going this far. Now, he did deny Christ three times. Three times he denied Christ, but he never switched over to selling his soul for 30 pieces of silver. He never switched over to where it became a money business arrangement. It was just a personal attack. He weakened, but he didn't fall completely. And when he saw Jesus on the shore of Galilee after the resurrection, he jumped in the water and he embraced him like a sloppy old wet Labrador and, said, and, and he asked for forgiveness. And, and Jesus is exactly what he prayed for. His faith did not fail him. Where did he run the first sight he saw Jesus? He ran right to him. He didn't stop. He didn't stop what he was doing in the middle of his work day, in the middle of his process of making money with the fish that he was catching. He stopped in the middle of all that and ran to Jesus. Sometimes we have to just stop in the middle of what we're doing and run to Jesus at all costs. Because that's when faith rises up and the devil's sifting process stops. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, glory be to God. I feel better now I preach that out. Praise the Lord. So he says Satan's going to come. There's the warning. How many know we have a warning today? Amen. We know... Flesh and the devil, that's it. Temptations come, flesh and the devil, and there is our problem. Amen? Some people like to hold it as a badge of honor. Well, you know, I'm weak in the flesh, and I just give in to temptations, and, you know, praise the Lord. Don't praise the Lord in your temptations, because Jesus said this. He says, your faith is, you said, according to that, your faith has failed you. Another thing, you cannot talk about strengthening without talking about grace. I was reading a book, um, I think it was by John, John Bevere. I was reading his, one of his books, and he said this. His ministry did a, a survey. They sent out a, 
uh, uh, to thousands of Christians, all different walks of life, all different denominations, non-denominations, so on. He sent out the Christian, uh, this questionnaire, and he said uh, to list what they thought the word grace in the Bible meant to them. And of course, it came back salvation. That's a good one, because that's true. Uh, grace does mean salvation. And he, but, uh, he, but they also said uh, unmerited favor. How many has ever been taught that grace is unmerited favor? Uh, if you've been taught that, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But everything, but only 2% of the thousands, this is what he says in his book, 2% of the thousands of people surveyed, only 2% saw the power of God in the word grace. 2% out of all the Christians surveyed, that's, that's not very much. 2% uh, saw that the word grace is empowerment. Can I share something with you? Because what happens is, I, I, I heard a speaker years ago say it this way. I like the way he said it. He says, um, if you have a definition for a word, that definition shall hold true for every word in the Bible under that one definition, Correct. So in other words, we're talking about the word grace. Grace should hold true uh, for every other uh, the definition of grace that you have should hold true for every word in the Bible about grace. So if you're going to take grace and call it unmerited favor, then if that's a definition for grace, then that should, definition should hold up all through the Bible, correct? Okay, well, how if I show you that it doesn't? It does not hold up uh, in, in Luke chapter 2, Verse 40, and the child grew, talking about Jesus, became, strong, became uh, strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Jesus had the grace of God upon him. Would the grace that Jesus had would be an unmerited favor? No, he's the only one that did merit it. <laughs> All right, here's another scripture uh, out of the mouths of two or three witnesses. Okay, here's another scripture, John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, we know that to be Jesus. And we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, get this, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. What Jesus spoke was the absolute truth of God, but what Jesus did miracles with was under the grace of God. The empowerment of God. So I heard a speaker say this. He says, grace should be the definition, should be this way. Uh, I, I, I totally agree. He said, it's, 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 it's not unmerited favor, but is the empowering presence of God enabling me to be what he's called me to be so that I'm able to do what he has called me and assigned me to do. That is the great. That definition holds up through all the scriptures that I talked about in the book of grace. I'll give you, for instance, in 2 Corinthians, if you, have a, if you have a red letter edition Bible, and you look up this verse in the red letter edition Bible, that means all the words of Jesus in the New Testament will come up red as he spoke. Here we go in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Who wrote Corinthians? Paul. But yet in this one verse, it comes up in red. It comes up the red letter version of Christ says this. He said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, and he said unto me, remember Paul was going through some problems, catch up on the story. He was going through some situations. He said there was a messenger of Satan come to buffet me. And he said, I sought God three times, and this is what he says to me. This was the answer after requested prayer three times about this thing that's interfering with his meetings. He said, he said this. He said, 
He said, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That, mean, that word weakness in the Greek means inability. Therefore, most gladly would I rather boast, Paul goes on to say, in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest on me. What did he say the power of Christ was? Grace. Amen? So in the strengthening, so this was, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, in my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, where Paul, where you see this cut off in weakness, he said, I'm going to speak strength, and that strength is my grace. Are you here? Praise the Lord. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, that this is in him we have redemption. How many want redemption this morning? Praise the Lord. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches. Are you ready for this? According to the riches of his grace. I went a little bit further to give you some more information, and I found out in Acts 11, chapter 23, I'm going to pick up that verse, but before the verses before that, talks about Barnabas going to Antioch. Now, what was happening was a great persecution after the Pentecost, was a great persecution. Many of the Jews were leaving Jerusalem and other places, and they were moving out of the country. Out of the country, we'd just been over the border, the northern border, into Antioch. Antioch was a city that was thriving. And just so happens, Barnabas was, was commissioned to go there and to observe the Jews that were coming out of Israel, going into Antioch. And what he discovered, he discovered there were two uh, groups of people. One was a North African uh, tribe of people, other was a, 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 some other from, from the island of Crete. And they were preaching to Hellenistic Jews. Hellenistic Jews were Greeks. Now, you know, remember Paul's exploits in Greece and Athens, it was, a, it was an utter failure as far as trying to convert anybody. But the fact is, here, what Barnabas realized, he looked, and this is what he says in Acts chapter 11, verse 23. When Barnabas came, when he, I put Barnabas, it says when he came, talking about Barnabas, had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with the purpose of uh, oh, that purpose of heart that should continue with the Lord. Now, wait a minute. It's, let me back up. It says, when Barnabas had seen the grace of God, how did he see the grace of God? How was he, did he see the empowerment of God? And here's how it was demonstrated. The empowerment of God was demonstrated through the salvations that he was seeing because the Jews that were coming out of Jerusalem of the persecution were receiving Christ in Antioch. And Antioch became a, a great thriving church community. And he's saying, keep it up, guys. You're exactly what you're doing is what you're doing. So he actually saw the power of God moving. And when he saw the power of God moving, he saw it in people. And not only just people, he saw it in the Jews, which were, you know, uh, fleeing persecution because of Christ. But he was preaching Christ. But the witness that he saw was the fact that he saw the grace, the power of God, was a changing in a person's life. Can I suggest you this morning that the grace of God should bring some kind of a change to your life? The grace of God should have the power to break any stronghold that you're facing. Claim it. Stand on it. 
Walk in the power of that word grace, because that's exactly what God has given us grace for. Just like he told Paul, Paul's saying, I don't know what to do with this guy. I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm at my wit's end. And Jesus says, Jesus says, letter, red letter, in Paul's writing, because it's not Paul's words that's speaking now. It's Jesus' word that Paul is, that is writing about. This is exactly what Jesus says, quote, unquote, my grace is sufficient for you. If you have power, if, the devil, if you're being plagued by the devil or being plagued by any kind of instance, guess what? My grace empowerment is overpowers that. Use the grace that I placed in your life. In other words, Paul, you have it already. It's been given to you at the cross. Hmm. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, when you think you got it figured out, you're weak. When you think you can outbrain God, you're weak. Forget it. You think you've got a better way than what Christ has already paid. Forget it. You're being sifted. And that sifting process is behind most of weaknesses when we're talking about the spirit. The other, the other part is just, a, just a, a, a total regard of our will or, or using our will towards the things of God. Praise the Lord. So it becomes a use of will. Are we, have, are we getting anything this morning? Okay, I'm, I'm excited anyway. Praise the Lord. I think this is good. Praise the Lord. So can we come up with a new definition for the word grace? Empowering presence. It's the empowering presence of God. Remember, I've been talking for months now, it seemed like years, a couple of years, about leaning into the presence of God. It's still a key. Because if you want the grace of God working in your life, you lean into the, to, to the presence of God. Amen? Praise the Lord. I'm giving you the difference between the grace of God, the empowerment and strength, and religion. There's a difference between truth and religion. Not that religion can't present some truth, but when it lulls you to sleep and when it, when it has a form of godliness but denies the power of Christ and the power of God, Paul said, from such stay away. Praise the Lord. Yes, praise, hmm. praise the Lord. Amen. I've looked... Let's go back to Peter, the one that was going to be sifted, the one that Satan utterly failed at sifting. And this is one of the scripture favorite of mine, probably ever since I've been in the ministry. I used to go back on this a lot and read this scripture. Second Peter chapter 1, give you a minute to turn there. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says this, grace and peace be multiplied. There he goes again. Now who's talking about grace and peace? Peter, <laughs> grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ at his divine power. Listen to this, his divine power. Again, he's associating power with grace. Well, look, with, look what we get. Look what we get from this. His divine power has given us all things. Everybody say all things. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who, called, who calls us by glory and virtue. Two things, glory and virtue. Glory means honor and praise, okay, and virtue means excellence. So there's two things that, we, that he has given us already, by which we have been given, is verse 4, by which have, uh, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Hmm. That means we can say the things that Jesus said, we can pray the prayers like Jesus prayed, and we can do the things that Jesus had told us to do. Amen? As the will of God. Because of that. Why, what, what, 
How did that come about? Oh, yeah, grace and peace. How, how do we get all those all things? Oh, yeah, grace and peace. Grace and peace isn't something that we can conjure up. Grace and peace is something we receive from Christ as a gift. What would the world give today? I'm talking about people in the world. Real, true peace. That means no matter what circumstance, no matter what turmoil is going through, you'd still have peace. What would they pay for that? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And it's found only one place. That's right here. Two things go together, grace and peace. Have my grace is an empowerment, but it also comes with peace. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, this is better preached than I'm getting responsive, but I'm going to go on anyway. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Having escaped the corruption of this, uh, in this, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, he says for, in verse 5, but also this, for this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Now he goes into a list. Add to your faith virtue or excellence, to virtue knowledge, knowledge Self-control, from self-control, perseverance. Here's that word, perseverance. Praise the Lord. This is kind of a throwback from our last session. Perseverance, endurance, or consistency. There has to be a consistency to our life. There's a consistency that when Christ comes up, we have to have that perseverance, which is a consistency. In other words, I'm not quitting no matter what. I'm not giving up no matter what. I'm not going to be sifted. Praise the Lord. Amen. To perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. And for, listen to this. This is the verse I'm trying to get to, verse 8. It says, for these things are yours and, are ba- and abound. You will neither be barren. In other words, if these things are, are, are yours and abound, you will ne- neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word barren means inactive. That's exactly what it means. If you have a field that has no crops or no plant, it has the potential, but it's inactive. Amen? He says, but you, if you have these things in your heart, you will not be barren or unfruitful. He said, so again, barren or unfruitful, inactive, useless, not yielding to what it ought to, to not, uh, Thayer says not yielding to what it ought to yield. Amen? Praise the Lord. How are you here this morning? All right. I want to get to this last point this morning. Talked about grace. We talked about the sifting process of the enemy, what the enemy's trying to do. So there's this warfare that goes on in us all the time. But the good news is we win because Christ has given us the empowerment, which gives us the grace. Grace is the empowerment. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says this. It says, for by one man's offenses, death reigned. By one man, which we Adam. Uh, offense is death reign. We are spiritually lost, dead because of Adam's sin. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace, there is again grace, and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Christ Jesus. Do you know that you have been, that has been turbined by God to empower you to reign in life? In other words, you're the one that's supposed to be in control, not the devil. You're the one that God has, has, has put into you the reign of life through one Christ Jesus. The word reign is defined this as a dominance or widespread influence. Amen? Life on this earth is not to surpass us, but we are to govern it. How many have ever heard you say that? You don't take life as thrown at you, but you reign in life. 
In other words, you're the governing factor of it. You make the decisions. You're the boss of your life. Praise the Lord. The first smart decision we make is we yield to Christ and his word. And then through that, we have the grace of God, which is the empowerment of God. Now we have the power to overcome the things that we didn't have the power to overcome before. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Amen. Did you know that God has planned all the way through everything in your life and my life, he has planned increase. Here's the problem. A lot of times we misinterpret what that increase is supposed to be. Amen. But God has always, where God shows up, there's increase. I was looking through some of the old prophets and different ones, and, uh, and um, Haggai chapter 2. Uh, that's, a little Bible, that's a little book in the middle. It's only got a couple chapters in it. But he said this. He said that talking about the temple, he said the glory of the latter temple, uh, uh, of the latter temple will be greater than the former temple. So what God is saying, he said, my process is this. The, you thought it was great back here? It's going to get better. If we look at our life and everything that begins to decrease as we, the further we walk with Christ, we lost something. Because what's supposed to happen today, the longer we serve the Lord, the longer we go unto the Lord, the greater things are supposed to be. So something has to change. I would recommend or suggest a shift in our focus to the things of what God is doing. I mean, the devil's great for, for trying to gather attention in the form of problems, and we're stuck on the problems. We can't get past the problems. The fact is the problems are a distraction to keep you from anything God wants you to proceed with. Well, I, I, I can do that, but I, first I got to do this. Remember, remember all the excuses when Jesus walked up to God? He says, um, sell all you have. He said to the rich young girl, sell all you have and come follow me. Uh, I can't do that because I have a lot of stuff. Uh, one guy says, oh, first let me go ahead and bury my father. Father wasn't even dead yet. But let me bury my, well, first let me do this. But first let me do that. This is where you have to watch where the first come in. First I got to do this, and first I got to do that, and first I got to do this. And then after I get that done, then what? Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Plain and simple, this is it. Here's your opportunity. Opportunity knocks right now. Here it is right now. What are you going to do about it? This is the time to jump in. Praise the Lord. Amen. I, I like this story. Uh, it's, 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 it complexes some people, but, but the story of the Syrophoenician woman, she had no right whatsoever to ask anything of Jesus because she was not Jewish. You've got to understand the culture of the day. She was a Gentile. She's a Gentile. She has a daughter at home who's vexed by the devil. Would you say that she had a need? Did she have a bona fide need? Okay. Uh, she, she had a bona fide need. When she went to Jesus, of course, the disciples were trying to push her off. They said, you're just, you're just a pass, get out of here. Uh, this is a Jewish, all-Jewish gathering here, and you're a Gentile. Is the way they looked at it. You don't belong here. The woman kept persistent, kept persistent. Finally, she got to Jesus, and she says, she says, Master, help me. She said, my daughter is home, grievously vexed with the devil. Well, how do you get grievously vexed with the devil? You don't walk down the street one day, and the devil just, just, devil just jumps on you. Uh, there's probably some worship involved. There's probably some opening of doors that was involved, and probably the devil was invited in her life. And now the mother's trying, out of the mother's love, trying to reverse this situation. And Jesus said something real strange and really uh, out of sorts. But I noticed that Jesus did it, approached everybody differently. 
probably according to their own hearts and their own consciences. But he approached everybody a little bit different. And this woman, was, uh, he said, why should I take the bread? He said, I'm called to the house of Israel, Matthew 15. He said, I'm called to the house of Israel. Why should I take the children's bread and give it to dogs? Remember that saying? And I've seen more commentators trying to dance around. <laughs> Jesus really say that? Yeah, he really said that. Because what happened was he, the, the woman in desperation was looking for her need met. But Jesus wasn't trying to minister to her need. This is where we make the mistake. We think Christ is going to minister to our need because we have a need. No, he's not looking. What he was trying to pull out of this woman, did he care about the daughter? Of course he cared about the daughter, and probably more than the mother did. But he knew the only way this was going to get done was he had to pull something out of this woman that did not exist on the surface. And the way he did it was through an insult. What? He said, why should I give it to you? You're undeserving. What? Tell, tell me. Now, he asked the question, tell me why I should give this to you. I'll take the bread from the children's table, which is children of Israel. This is who I'm sent to, and give it to you, a Gentile. Why should I do that? Tell me why I should do that. Maybe we ought to question ourselves sometimes. Why are we asking God this? What do we, what do we expect from him? Okay, but Jesus, why, why would I do that? And she says, even the little dogs get the crumbs that fall off the children's table. And all of a sudden, when she said that out of her mouth, even the dogs get the crumbs. Jesus lit up, smiled from ear to ear, and he said to her, daughter, I have your faith. Your daughter is healed because of your faith, because you spoke your faith. She didn't get what she needed because she had a need. She got what she needed because she had the faith to believe God and pursue the, the, the answer. Not because she had a need. People all in our community have needs. There's all kinds of needs. But when are they going to, when they come to Christ with an honesty and a richness, not looking for their need to be met, but just looking for the master himself, knowing the answer of all problems is him. I'll always have a need someplace, but the, Jesus is always going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we get to grab a hold of him for, for, for the sake of grabbing a hold of him. Jesus didn't have to go to her house. She didn't even have to say a prayer. There was not one prayer made for that woman, for that girl. Not one prayer did he say. He didn't even speak casting out anything. Like we, we would be casting out, we would be to tossing stuff, you know, bring her here, we'll lay hands on her, dump oil on her, whatever it takes. Didn't even do that. All he said, go home, your daughter's healed because of your faith. All she did was believe and went to Jesus, would not be deterred. She, I mean, it must have been an uncomfortable situation being the only Gentile in the midst of all those Jews and having a need. But she wouldn't be deterred by the disciples. She wouldn't be deterred by anybody. Why? Her daughter needed her. There was another man like that. He was a centurion, a Roman soldier. Same thing. He was on behalf of another person. And he says, my house is not worthy to you come in. If his house is not worthy for Jesus to come in, what makes him think that Jesus is going to give him a miracle? I mean, the way we think today. He said, my house is not worthy. But if you speak the word only, I'm a man under authority, and I have men under me that's under authority, and all I have to do is speak the word, and it's done. And Jesus said, I have not seen such great faith all in Israel. Go home, your servant's healed. 
Again, didn't pray for the servant. Again, didn't give a faith confession. Again, no point of contact. But because this man stood in intercession and said, I'm not fit. I'm not even fit to ask you for anything, but I know you're a man of authority. Recognition of the authority of Christ was enough to get a servant healed. Praise the Lord. Amen? Get anything out of this? Let me, let me close my final closing. I get two, it's the American way. Nehemiah 8, verse 10, it says, he says, do not, he's, Nehemiah says this, he says, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to a, a, who, who have nothing in prepared. For this day is, a, is holy unto the Lord, do not sorrow. This day is holy unto the Lord, do not sorrow. Sorrow was banned from that day, okay, for that, for that particular purpose that day. He said, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If they got it wrong, if they had sorrow instead of joy, they wouldn't have lost, they wouldn't have had the strength. But because they listened to the words of the prophets in Nehemiah, he said, the joy of the Lord. He said, don't mourn. He said, let's switch from mourning to joy. And we get strength. So joy in the Lord equals our strength that we need to combat life. Praise the Lord. That is my closing. Praise the Lord. How many got something out of the word this morning? If you didn't, you just want to listen and praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord for all that he's doing. Amen. Now you can go, come and go. You can leave this place the same way you walked in. Or you got a choice this morning to do something different. Amen. But I guarantee you, choose wrong, and we'll see you next week the same, in the same condition. And the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that. Understand something about church. It gives us the opportunity. What's about preaching? It gives us the opportunity to hear the truth from the Word of God and to pick up that, that difference that we need to make it make the world. The devil's out there, he's waiting right now for you to be sifted. That's not a revelation. I mean, he, that's what he's been doing for, for, for years to sift you and make sure everything that's good in your life is taken away. And everything that's rotten in the, hollow of, the hollowness of yourself remains. Everything you don't like about yourself is to remain. That's Satan's plan, praise the Lord. But God's plan is that he, he takes away all the burdens, and he said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I like Nehemiah. It's, it's, a, it's a good, good book to read. But uh, Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. He said, this is not the day for sorrow. Why would they sorrow? Because they were in repentance. Because for years they were in captivity of Babylon. They didn't hear the word. Ezra the priest got up there and began to read the word of God and people began to weep and cry. Where, was, where has this been all of our lives? They were touched emotionally. And Nehemiah says, he says, Don't, this is not the day for sorrow. He said, you heard the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord we heard. He said, this is not the day of this sorrow. This is the day for rejoicing. He said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What are we trying to do? Getting from the weakness of regrets into the joy of hope for a future. 
Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We give you praise and we thank you, Lord, for all I heard the word and received it in their heart as truth to grow thereupon and the strength. And Father God, we thank you for, Lord, your, your prayers towards Peter uh, that his faith did not fail. We receive that prayer for us today that our faith does not fail in the name of Jesus and that we can be an encouragement to our brethren. We can take that same assignment that was given to Peter and given to the other disciples too. All the disciples were there. But I want to take that assignment this morning. We're going to stand in faith and encourage our brethren, encourage everybody else. You, got to have, you have a need in your life, encourage somebody else and see how God takes care of your need. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. We thank you for that word. We're going to stand, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We keep on praying. Keep on praying. Our faith will not fail. We declare it this morning. Our faith will not fail. It will not give up, and we'll press on and move on to the things of God in Jesus' mighty name. And all the church said? Amen. Praise the Lord. How many are glad you came to church this morning? Amen. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Glory. It's been great.